But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, therefore, encourage one another. Build one another up, just as you are doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He calls you faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Paul is closing this letter. This is a personal letter that he's writing to the people of Thessalonica. And it's likely uh, the first letter of Paul's that we actually have. It's largely encouragement as you look at the book of 1 Thessalonians. This letter is largely to encourage the people, the believers. And then, and then as it closes, it gets into these kind of practical elements of what does it mean to behave as believers? How do we live as believers? So in our passage that we read here today, it has kind of three clear instructions, I think, that answer the question, how do we share the Christian life well? I would, I would say that the three things I see are build up, join up, and face up. The church, uh, and by extension a community group, is like a three-legged stool. I'm going to ask Joe to put this graphic on the stage, I mean on the screen. So you've heard this before, most likely, that there's these kind of three circles that make this interesting Venn diagram, and it's up, out, and in. And so these are the aspects of, of a church. These are the aspects of a body. We, we can focus on something. We can focus only on up. We can only look to God and only do worship. Well, that's unhealthy spiritualism because God is, has ordered us to be about relationship with others, to be about uh, evangelism to the lost. And so you could go, okay, well, up and out only. If we did out and up, but don't worry about community and that nonsense, but we just did up and out, well, then we'd have event-driven spectacle, which is um, two good things combining to make something we're not really aiming for. Or we could do uh, up and in. We could do unhealthy spiritualism plus dying community, which is what happens when you're only about yourself and not about anyone else. And what you'd have then is a church that does no outreach and does not care about the community around it, and you'd have a closed-off religion. And what you have is, is you take any of these good things in and of themselves, are incomplete. Any of these good things in and of themselves don't paint the full picture of what we're supposed to be as followers of Christ, as a community group, as a church. It's interesting. You can take the whole church and go, this is the church, and this is the way we function. We have to have all three of these things in unity, in concert, in balance, and if we don't have them, then, then we don't get it right. You could do that for a community group. Do we have, are, are we inward focused? Are we taking care of each other? Are we outward focused? Are we blessing the community? Uh, are we upward focused? Are we actually um, worshiping? Are we, are we blessing the Lord through this? Is this about Jesus? And you would be able to figure out, is my community group balanced? You could even do it personally. And you look at your own life and you go, hey, am I, am I inward focused? Am I outward focused? Do I have a relationship? Am I, do I have this up relationship thing happening? 
And so any way you, you look at it, as you zoom in or zoom out, this can apply to the body, the body, or the body of Christ. And so I want to look at this and not make this the sermon, but I want us to consider what it looks like to be a church that's about all three. Community groups are largely, they they contain elements of all of them, but it's largely the out portion of the diagram. Community groups are largely the out portion that allow us to go out and reach out, to reach the community, to serve the community, to bless the community. And yet if we don't have all of these things present in our community as a church or present in our community group as a micro church or present in ourselves, what we have is, is really like a, a two-legged stool. I look at it like a three-legged stool, and anytime you take out one of these legs that Scripture kind of leads us to, what you have is a two-legged stool, and you know what that leads to. You can't sit on a two-legged stool. That's a ladder, so you better be leaning it on something. And so when we look at this, I want us to consider what this means. Within the community group construct, what's interesting is share, like I said, can easily get bundled into gather. Well, we gather and then we share a meal. That's sharing, right? Okay, maybe. Or we go out and bless and we share our resources with the larger community. We share Jesus. Okay. And so, again, they're not all perfectly clean, but I want to put the point out today that potentially, when we say gather, share, bless, share represents the up portion in our groups. In our biblical community, Share represents the up portion. And when we lack this, when we lack this up, this Christ-centric piece of community, what we have is social activism. We have an in-and-out group that meets together and then goes and reaches the community, and that becomes social activism. If it isn't based in Christ, then what? It's a supper club with a cause. Share is often the hardest part to get right, and yet... When our gathering is infused with a worshipfulness, there's this beauty that happens. When our blessing is based in grace, well, everything changes. It, it goes from something uh, that we would do charitably, it's, it's a good thing to do, to being a gospel-centered thing to do. When we gather, it changes from having a, a supper club of people that sort of share a faith to having a worship gathering Because worship is more than music. Worship is our lifestyle. And so I said it says to build up in this passage. Verse 11, Paul says, encourage one another. Verse 14, it says, encourage the faint-hearted. Parakaleo is the word in Greek. The encouraged means to urge, to implore, to support. What's interesting, though, is we we think of encourage a little differently than, than I think the Bible sees encourage. Because the question I would ask is encouraged towards what? Encouragement is in the form of, hey, pick your head up, or hey, don't worry about it, or hey, we're going to get them. Don't, it's okay. It's all going to work out. And I would argue that, that biblical encouragement is encouragement towards Christ. This is the idea that we might encourage each other, we might push each other, we might support each other, implore each other towards Jesus. So biblical encouragement is not a self-esteem boost. It's a self-identity truth. Paul, in other places in Scripture, says you're not your own. You were bought with a price. You're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Paul is always encouraging the believers that he's writing these letters to. He's always encouraging them. He's never saying, you know what? You're good enough. You're smart enough. And you're good looking and people like you. He never says that. He says, you're terrible. And I'm more terrible than you. 
He says, you couldn't do it on your own. We've all fallen short. We're all sinners. We all fail. And yet, the old is gone and the new has come. And so when Paul encourages, and is there a greater encourager in all of Christianity than Paul? Paul encourages upwards. When we gather and before we bless, we share life. And to share life is to drive each other upwards. If you do biblical community long enough in any form or by any name, you will run into certain things. Financial crises, someone in the group, there will be a broken relationship, there will be wayward children, there will be health problems and life drama and tragedy that accompanies just being a living thing on earth. In the midst of that, we get to celebrate with each other and congratulate each other and we challenge each other and we laugh and we hug and we cry and this is just, this is the rhythm of life. But in these moments, in the good moments, In the not-so-good moments, we are charged to build each other up, to urge, to implore, to support, to point to Christ. So when someone goes through one of these things, when someone walks into community group, when someone walks into church Sunday morning, when someone comes to the men's Bible study or the women's Bible study, when someone walks into your office and you know them to be a believer, you are their community, and they say, you wouldn't believe what happened to me, and they lay out life's latest tragedy. Encouragement in a biblical sense is not to say it'll be okay. Encouragement is to say you are a child of God. Are you in financial trouble? He is our security. Are you in a broken relationship? He is our restoration. Are you um, dealing with wayward children? He is our hope. Are you working through health problems? He is our healer. Are you dealing with life drama? He waits beside the still waters. Are you dealing with the daily tragedy of existence? He holds our eternity. That's what biblical encouragement looks like. In building up, we help others find a posture that seeks God and points to God as the answer to every problem. Which isn't to say that our presence doesn't matter. Group is not a, yeah, 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 that's great, but Jesus will take care of it. We're trying to do something here. Because that that becomes an unhealthy thing too. Whenever the answer to every problem is, hey, look, Jesus, man, just Jesus it, okay? Yeah, you, I don't think you understand. I'm, I'm like filing for bankruptcy. Uh-huh. Well, you know what? Jesus has got you covered. He'll never write a check you can't cash. And you're like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> it still requires us as a community to then say, part of the way that God provides, part of the reason God is the healer and the restorer and the hope, part of that is through us. There's this thing that happens in Texas that um, is just really sort of strange. You smell it before you see it. You're driving down the road, and you smell it before you see it, and, and certainly you, if you spend enough time there, you're going to run across one or two or a thousand of these. Driving down through a neighborhood or, or past a gas station, and you'll smell it, and then, and then, yep, there it is. You'll see someone, probably a kid, 8, 10, 12 years old, holding a poster board. It'll say, barbecue plates, $6. Barbecue plates. Barbecue plates are a thing in Texas. Whenever tragedy strikes, barbecue plates follow. So if it's a house burned down or a loved one passed away and we don't have money for the funeral, whatever it is, the way that Texans figure out how to, how to deal with this is it's called barbecue plates because the community rallies. When there's an issue, the community rallies and they go, okay, we can figure this out. My uncle owns a restaurant. We'll just, we'll just set up in his parking lot. I'll bring the smoker and all the meat 
And then somebody, and then the neighbor says, well, I'll bring potato salad. And someone says, I'll bring coleslaw. And someone says, I'll bring the beans. And you're like, okay, we got something. And you go to the local restaurant, and this one donates plates, and this one donates uh, silverware, and everybody kind of figures it out. And before you know it, barbecue plates, $6. And they've gotten everything donated, and then every penny goes towards whatever the need is. And you don't have to know what the need is. All you need to know is if you're in Texas and you see a sign that says barbecue plates, you stop. Because sometimes this is the best barbecue you can find. I don't know if it's because it's like cooked with love or well, it's only $6, but it's, you want to stop. And it, it's just what happens. Every region has their things that happen when, when something goes wrong and people come together. And this is what would happen in Texas. And people come together and you'd smell it and you'd go, oh. And if you drew down that line, you'd go, well, I don't, I don't know what the tragedy is. Someone lost a loved one. Someone lost a house. Someone lost a job. So who, who knows? But the community rallies, and they got barbecue plates. The community is the answer to the prayer, right? God says, I will be with you. And part of the way God says, I will be with you, is he says, I will leave my Holy Spirit with you, and it will be infused in all of these others. And so we will join together and do this together. And so we would be the kind of people that if person A loses their house, then person B goes, we're going to do some barbecue plates. And God's got you, and he's always got you, and he is the answer, and part of his answer is us, and we can't fix it, but we're here. And that's what it means to share. Share says point up and reach out. Encouragement is, by nature, sacrificial. If it is not sacrificial, it is not encouragement. Biblical encouragement is always sacrificial. You have to take the time And you've sacrificed some time to reach out to someone, to help someone, to build them up, to point them to Christ. You have to take the finances to to be a part of encouraging them towards whatever the goal is. You have to find the relationship and the connection. And the encouragement costs us something. Encouragement is by nature sacrificial, and sacrifice is by nature about others. The most poisonous statement anyone can ask in a biblical framework be it a big church, a small community group, whatever, the most poisonous statement anyone can ask is, what's in it for me? If we come to community for what we can get, it will always disappoint us. And worse, if we have enough people that come to community seeking what we can get, the whole thing gets derailed. Think about a potluck. People like potlucks. Everyone participates in the potluck. Everyone brings something to the potluck. So if I say we're having a potluck, somebody... They're going to bring the green bean casserole, and somebody's going to bring this other thing, and I got drinks, and I got, and, and someone, we had one of these. In July, we had kind of this church potluck, and those, the, the biker kids were coming in. They were building houses and bicycling around the world, and, and we said, okay, well, let's have a party. And you guys showed up. Like 150 people showed up. And, and what the church said is, we'll put the meat out, but then everything else just has, kind of has to show up. And so I went home, and I'm I'm making beans like by the boatload and and somebody else is bringing salad and then there's some fruit thing that shows up. But what we don't understand about the potluck is it requires each of us, otherwise it it breaks down. Because like somebody brought drinks, but then I see Coach Hugo walk in and he has an ice chest with like 18 bags of ice hanging all over the sides of it. He just cleaned out the, the gas station of all their ice and brought it in. If he doesn't show up with ice, all these drinks are warm and nobody wants them. And yet if he just shows up with ice and the person who brought all the drinks doesn't show up with all the drinks, have a cup of ice. Welcome to church. It doesn't work. It it takes everybody doing their part. 
And then what happens when someone shows up and isn't part of the whole? You run out of stuff because that one guy decided to bring a 20-ounce Diet Mountain Dew and set it on the table because that was his thing that he was going to bring, knowing that nobody was going to open it. They're all going to think it's weird. And when he left, after he ate really well, he's going to take it back home and he gets to drink it later. Like, like that's not participation in a potluck. That's taking advantage of a potluck. And if enough people do that, what happens? The whole thing breaks down. Church works on Sunday because someone sacrificed their Sunday morning to watch kids. Someone sacrificed dollars to make sure the lights come on and the parking lot is plowed and the staff is paid and the body is served. Society works the same way. Encouragement always has a cost. My kids' friends eat for free at school. Why? Because taxpaying Americans are making sure that no child goes hungry. And so there's a free lunch program paid for by our taxes. You pay for the parks, whether you use them or not. Young people pay for elder care, and elderly people pay for schooling for young people. All of that is just sacrifice to the greater whole. All of that is, is, is what it looks like when people come together for the greater good and say, you know what would be really great is if we had kids that didn't go hungry and got educated. And then, you know what the young people would say, you know what would be really great is if we took care and, and revered the people in our community as they get older, and we take care of them too. It requires us to see the world differently, though. When we ask what's in it for me, we resent the fact that we're paying taxes that somebody else's kid can eat. And this is not tax politicization, you know, do whatever you want with that. Have your leaning on where all that should go. I'm not uh, espousing pure socialism or wherever this is going to go if you take that metaphor too far. This is saying that we as the collected body of Christ are here for each other. And the scripture over and over and over and over again tells us to encourage each other and often tells us to encourage each other through sharing of resources, through sharing of time, through sharing of of abilities, which means that if I give them to you, I get less of them for me. But in order to do this, we have to see the world differently. We have to see everyone as a child of God. And this is really hard. If we see everyone as a God-created person, image-bearer, It changes the math for us because instead of saying, this is for me and this is for people like me, we have to say that even if I don't agree with this person, know this person, agree with the person's choices, that somewhere within me, I'm required to see the image-bearing quality of that human being. I'm not responsible for them. I'm responsible to them, though. And that eliminates our ability to kind of tap out of these scenarios. You know what? Well, that's, that's their problem. There is no them. There's only us. That's our problem. If there are hungry children in Bowling Green, that's our problem. If there are kids in the foster care system that are sitting in a group home and can't get adopted, that's our problem. These are our problems. And when we look at every other person as a child of God, as a created image bearer of the Most High, it changes the way we see the world. All of the sudden, there are not an annoyance or a drain, but they're people that are worthy of gospel-centered encouragement. And then it's up to us to figure out what gospel-centered encouragement is. So you build up, and then you join up. What makes community so hard for us to be a part of? What what makes being a part of... uh, 
a group of people so difficult? What makes individualization so easy? Why is community hard? Why is being alone easy? Answer, other people. You know, like the people who mess with the thermostat at your house? I was cold, I didn't know. People who put flavored coffee in the coffee pot at work so that every cup of coffee for the rest of eternity is now going to be tinged with that hazelnut flavor? The people with 23 items in the express checkout? The people texting while sitting in their car at a green light? Other people. I had a pastor friend. I suppose I still have a pastor friend. He would say, I love everything about my job. Well, everything but the people. I said, what? I think you're in the wrong profession. He goes, yeah, people are the worst. (laughs) And I said, yeah. I didn't connect the dots for him entirely, but but by his logic, he was then the worst, right? Being part of people. He'd say, yeah, I mean, all all the stuff is easy. What makes anything complicated is that there's people involved. I can work, I mean, I got the whole plan figured out, but then as soon as people show up, it's all going to go. People are why we're here. Verse 14 said, encourage, encourage the faint-hearted. Encourage the faint-hearted. That word faint-hearted literally means little souls, which is so interesting to me. It not only says encourage in verse 11, it comes back and says in verse 14, encourage the faint-hearted. Encourage the little souls, which is to say people who are not fully developed, people who are works in progress, people who lack a healthy identity, people, people like you and me. See, there's the danger of seeing ourselves as fully formed believers, that we're, we're in formation, we're being sanctified, we're on the journey. And so the second we see ourselves as fully baked and done and ready to be presented, we lose out on the fact that we are still those people that at times and in certain areas of our lives would be the faint-hearted, the people of little souls, the people still needing a, a help and an encouragement. So the scripture is saying to join up with the weakest among you and build them up. Join up with the greatest among you and build them up in their time of weakness. Verse 13 says, be at peace. Be at peace with the argumentative and the naive. Verse 14, be patient with the slow or the immature. Verse 15, be generous with grace. Even if they are malicious or destructive. It says, never repay evil for evil. Be generous with grace. Paul's challenge, once we get to reading it, is actually be like Jesus. Be like Jesus. Jesus engaged the scholars, the brightest in the room. Jesus engaged the prostitutes that the scholars wouldn't get near. Jesus asked fishermen to follow him, and he ate with the tax collectors. He, he, he asked those who were considered slow to be his. And then those who were considered to be evil, he said, I can be yours. In an age where children were cast-offs, throwaways, no big deal, Jesus said, let the children come to me. Jesus looked at every vulnerable, marginal person, and he said, come to me. 
Jesus looked at every person and saw them as vulnerable and marginal. And if we don't see ourselves that way, if we don't see that the guy who has it all together, the perfect American dream working on all cylinders, great marriage, great kids, great income, all that stuff's great. If we don't see him as vulnerable, we miss it. Because there's a vulnerability in not knowing Christ, isn't there? An eternal vulnerability. And so we see people in society's lens, and we see people in, are you rich or are you poor? Are you, are you this or are you that? And what we have to do is we have to back out of that and say every single one of us carries vulnerabilities. Every single one of us carries uh, areas of our lives that are, are stuck on the margins that haven't figured it out yet. And when we see it that way and we see ourselves properly, then we become generous. You look around and you see that Jesus engages the, the ill, knowing they need healing. He engages the leper. He engages the uh, person who's, who's outside of the circle of acceptance. Because Jesus looks and he says, you know what they have all in common? They're all God's creation. Often the biggest hurdle in any group, in a church, in a community group, the biggest hurdle is the no one here is like me factor. So we don't unify. We don't commit to a shared sacrifice. We never get momentum towards the mission because we show up in a group of of 10 or 10,000 and we go, you know what, no one here is really like me. And I think this is a lie that we're told because we choose to see what's different and not what's the same. We choose to see what divides us instead of what unites us. So if you're single, you're married, you're young, you're old, you're rich, you're poor, man, woman, black, white, healthy, sick, introvert, extrovert, child of God. What are you going to hang your identity on? If you hang your identity on anything less than child of God, what you will find is a reason to be isolated. You will find a reason to be separated. You will find a reason not to reach out, not to share, not to love, not to encourage. You will find a reason to close inward and say, not for me. That which binds us is far greater than anything that divides us, and so we are implored by the scripture to join up. Third and finally, we're to face up. What makes a community transcendent? Transcendence, this, this thing we all yearn for, to be a part of something beyond the range of normal human experience. Transcendence. Something bigger than ourselves. Alternate definition, if you look it up in the dictionary, we'll say of God. We look for transcendence. We seek transcendence. We yearn for transcendence. We want something bigger than ourselves to be a part of. We seek it in groups and subgroups. People of this hobby gather together. We're about this hobby together. People of this profession form guilds and clubs and and membership-oriented. We're all part of this. Only us who do this job. Marital status? Well, the the married people go here and the single people go there. The weirdest to me, fans of sports teams. Not long ago, a few weeks ago, uh, Phil and I went to Cincinnati. We took a day trip. I think we'd kind of been looking for an excuse to do this and the U.S. Open Cup is this big soccer tournament that goes on, and, and basically it's, it's a year-long tournament that every soccer club in the United States gets to be a part of. So an amateur team, the, the Sunday afternoon team, gets to play against another team, and it's this giant tournament. And as they play, one at a time, they're eliminated, but, but they all play until they start meeting professional teams down the road, and so it, literally anybody can win. There's like a thousand teams that can enter to play in the U.S. Open Cup, and so uh, the team of 19-year-olds that plays on the weekends can play against the team of millionaires that's, that's under the bright lights in New York City. And so one of these Cinderella stories this year was uh, Cincinnati's 
soccer team. And they had beaten several teams that were way above their pay grade. And so they got to host a team from New York. And I was like, Phil, this is a great chance. Let's, let's just go. And I tried to get tickets, and it was impossible. Cincinnati flipped out. They, they sold out the University of Cincinnati's football stadium, 33,000 people. You can't get a ticket. You can go online, and they're like hundreds of dollars on the secondary market. And I said, this isn't really worth it, but I have an idea. I said, I know people from the New York fan club, the people who like this team, and I know some people. Let me send an email. I sent an email, and they said, yeah, we have a block of tickets they gave us because we're the away supporters driving over from New Jersey, New York. So yeah, you can have a ticket. You just better not be wearing blue, the color of Cincinnati. Otherwise, we'll punch you. And I was like, all right. So I got a couple soccer shirts in my closet. I have two that say New York on them. So Phil and I, I give Phil a shirt, I wear one, and we're like, okay, look, we we look like we've been doing this our whole lives. We blend right in. 33,000 people. Imagine a football stadium full of blue. And in this tiny corner... Right down on the field, right in like the end zone area, there's like 35 people wearing red. And they are obnoxious. And we're at the top of them, so we're like, is all this red and there's us, and then people wearing blue right behind us, and we're kind of looking back like, we're not, we're not with them, you know? (laughs) Don't beat us up. And yet the experience is insane, because it's this us against the world experience. And what you witness as I look down on these people below us is these 35 people who are bound only by the fact that they cheer for the same corporately sponsored, profit-oriented professional sports club is they are like family. And many of them have never met. I've seen them. Hey, who are you? I'm this. I'm that. I sit in this section. I go over there. I'm from Philadelphia. I'm from New Jersey. Okay. And the New York Red Bull fans, sponsored by the energy drink, are like family. They are hugging, and they are cheering, and they're high-fiving, and you go to the bathroom during the middle of the game, and you're walking in the sea of blue, and you see someone else with red, and they'll look at you and be like, yeah, man, yeah. Be like, I just got in with the ticket. I'm not really a fan. It's cool. Yeah. And we go through this whole thing together. It was the weirdest feeling to realize they had involved us in their club of transcendence because we had red shirts on. And had we flipped them and put blue shirts on, and we sat in their section, they would have fought us. Because their email said, if you sit in our section with a blue shirt, we will fight you. (laughs) And I thought, what is this human yearning to be part of anything bigger than self? Transcendence is, I believe, the central human pursuit. We desire to be part of something beyond us. A church community group is no different. If it's based on our affinity, we're all empty nesters, we all have young kids, our availability, hey, we're all free on Wednesday night, let's make a club. Affluence, we're all upper middle class. None of these things ever fully satisfy. And then the group breaks down and it doesn't work and somebody says it's a waste of time or you know what, it's just not for me. This is not for me. To which I would say, right, Now you have it. It's not for you. Community group only works when it's based in Christ. Because anything less that we base it on will never meet the minimum standard for transcendence because nothing compares to Christ-centered community. Affinity-centered community will fail. Availability-centered community will fail. All the other things we do, those break down. Christ never fails, and therefore Christ-centered community never fails. Lacking Jesus, we have supper clubs and social clubs and activist clubs. 
with people, if we're honest, we probably would have not chosen to spend one night every two weeks with. But with our proper posture, when we are faced upwards, then with Jesus, these little gatherings of people dedicated to blessing the world around them, these become radically oriented vehicles designed to transform lives. And the beauty of them is they transform lives not only out in the community, but inside the group. With Jesus, the group has an identity rather than an affinity. So we gather to know Jesus and make him known. We share life. We share Christ. We encourage towards the Father. And then we bless a specific pocket of people that we've chosen. And when it happens, when it's truly Christ-centered, when we have the out and the in balanced with the up, it's like magic. Those groups never break up. Those groups never want to stop meeting. They end up meeting more on the side. Hey, you want to come over? Hey, you want to do this thing together? Hey, you want to go volunteer together? Hey, because they found it. And once you find true transcendence, you can't get enough. But it requires that we look up and recognize that sharing life is ultimately about sharing Christ with each other so that we might share him with the world. So what does it mean to share? Encourage, build each other up. Unify, join up around one common cause, which is Christ. And then face up, remembering that everything we do is ultimately about Jesus. And only then will we be fully formed, fully balanced communities for others, for God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, Paul. God, that you would inspire him and that he would write, that we would receive, be able to read. Father, that we might ingest uh, the beauty of his encouragement to others, that we might take it as our own. God, that we could recognize that our role here with others in this room is to point to Christ, to encourage towards you, to remind of our identities as your children. God, as we do that, I pray that we would be mindful of what you've called us to do and who you've called us to be, but we would be mindful knowing that outside of you, it doesn't matter. Outside of you, it is meaningless. It is vanity. But in you, Father, soak it deep into our souls that in you we find true transcendence. God, in you we will find our hope and our healing. And so we thank you for those promises. We rest in them today. In Jesus' name, amen.